Hey, this is Brent Jensen. You're listening to No Sleep Till Sudbury, the show where we talk about the music that makes your skin vibrate. And my goodness, but do we have some great quality content for you over these next two weeks. It's officially Christmas time. And once again, I am here at the home of the legendary Rick Emmett. Rick, hi, Rick. Brent. Hi, Rick. I said, there's a little note here for me, actually, that says, hi, Brent. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, you know, obviously, this is not a, a video. It's just audio. So we should describe. You're in my basement studio, folks. And, and we have music stands in front of us with my microphones hanging on large boom mic stands. But we're sitting in very comfortable chairs. I might fall asleep <laughs> during the course of this. Uh, yeah, and you know I'm working from the laptop. Me Brent too. seems to he doesn't need one, but I'm going to need one because <laughs> we're very content heavy this I've year. I've got one over here too. We've got so much <laughs> stuff that we can barely see each other. <laughs> I know it's great. <laughs> Anyhow, all so, right. So now, so thank you. You're welcome for the, for the hospitality. I, I, I always love when we do this every year. There is one thing that's different this year. It's a pretty big thing. Yeah. So we have decided to come up with a new Christmas tradition. Yes. And uh, we're going to do something a little bit different. Do you want to? Well, the, the thing is, I'd exhausted all of my Christmas stuff. Like, you know, we, we, we've had such, you know, intense, fabulous shows in the past. That's right. That I've used up all my Christmas stuff. So then I said to you, what about if, if we just do like, you know, curl up in front of the fire kind of, you know, lovely songs. Mm -hmm. And you went, oh, yeah, that's a pretty good idea. And then I thought, geez. You know, he does this show, you know, Lord knows, week in, month in, out, like whatever it is. Well, how often do you out. do these? Weekly. Yeah. So, you know, I'm thinking, all right, I wonder if he's ever actually done one where somebody said, what about you, Brent? What What about, what songs do you like? And I, yeah. Very rarely. Now, I think I, I did one episode. So we're, we're at episode by this time. It'll be episode probably 183, 184. Right. I think I did one around episode 14 where someone had the idea of saying, hey, why don't you do one and I will play you. Right. But that was, I think that was three years ago, Rick. So Okay. So yeah. so I, I thought, let's make a list of 10 things. They're not going to be Christmas, but they're going to be ones that, you know, speak right directly to what your show is all about. The whole thing of the skin vibrating and the goosebumps and the, all of that stuff. And a little list of that, 10 songs, one, one of yours. And then once I get your five, I can go, all right, so I'll pick five that sort of somehow they relate or they, they come sort of from the same ballpark or something about them inspires something that I will choose. So, you know, this list is going to be all over the place, but it's going to be fun. And they're going to be really, really cool yes. uh, uh, chunks of, of music. And so, yeah, you know, we should get at it. Now, there is one other thing I wanted to mention, though. What's that? I have a special guest. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> it's it's virtual, uh, as everything is here in this universe now. But uh, there's a book that was written by a guy named Daniel J. Levitin, and he is a brain psychologist kind of dude uh, that runs a, a, a wing of, I don't know, you know, a department at McGill in, in Montreal. And he's written books that are on, uh, you know, New York Times bestseller lists. And the one of the first books was This Is Your Brain on Music. And there's mm. so much in that book that speaks directly to, you know, little things that in conversation, things are going to come up. And I'm going to say, 
you know what? Let me just turn to page 273 of this book, and I'm going to read little quotes from uh, from Daniel J. Levitin. So he's going to be our special guest brain psychologist. I love it. Yeah, yeah. So Perfect. that's what's going to happen. That's great. I love that. Okay, so should I? We've got the song list here. Should I go through? Yeah, that yeah. Give everybody the 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 tune stack. The tune stack. See, I learned new terminology today. The yeah. tune stack. I'd never heard that before. Well, you never had to make albums or CDs. Like th that's the way you know the graphic artists and stuff. Where does the tune stack go on the package? You know, like so. That's and you want great. a tune stack on the back because once it's shrink wrapped and people go, well, what songs are on here? They got to be able to look at it. But yeah, so. Tune stacks are all over the place. They're on the actual labels of, of vinyl. You know, yeah. there's a tune stack there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Okay, so our tune stack today is, and thank you again for including me in this because you could have taken all 10. Yeah. You gave me five. I appreciate that. So handbags and glad rags. That's one of mine. Yeah. We're going to go one for one here. Mine is handbags, glad rags. Yeah. The moon is a harsh mistress. Yeah, that's I picked you. that one. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'm amazed. That's you. God only knows. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> to sir with love. That's you. Yep. That was a weird one. That's going to be good, though. That's great. Yeah. 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 Uh, and I love her. Yes, that's me. Planet Caravan. That's you. That's totally weird. <laughs> that's going to be a great one, though. No, that's it is. a little bit different. We'll get into that. I, I'd never heard it. So that you never heard that song. Never heard that song. So that was a new one for me. Yeah. And I, I, was, I went, oh, man. Like, it's surprising. We'll save it. I don't want to blow it. So, okay. yeah, Planet Caravan is seven. Coming, Alfie. Coming in at number eight. Coming in at number eight is Alfie. Yeah, and that's an unbelievable. And I have so many stories about this one. This is a really, really good one. Yeah. Number nine is Goodbye Carolina, Marcus yeah. King. Crazy. Like, I, I, I'd never heard that one either. So mm. that was a new one for me. And that blew my mind. Yeah. Especially the thing about it that blows your mind also blew mine. Oh, really? Yeah. So I did, I did a lot of research. And uh, yeah. Oh, um, I'm so excited. And then we get that. to number 10, and yes. Uncle Ricky's going to play. Uncle Ricky has a composition all his own here at number 10 Cobalt yeah. Blue. Yeah, and that's from my new stuff, The Bonfire Sessions, which is available for download off my site. <laughs> <laughs> and there's, we get the commercial in early. Yeah. Um, but it's, it, it's, uh, it's one of the latest things that I've written. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see if I can get through it without too many clams. But yeah, so that's, that's what we got. Those are the 10. Now, shall we get Mr. Levitin into this right away early? Absolutely. To get started. So the yeah. first quote from the Brain Book uh, is, is just about sort of, this is, you know, I think what your show is sort of about. So the, here's what he wrote. Um, in a landmark study in 1999, Anne Blood, yeah. a postdoctoral fellow working with Robert Zatora at the Montreal Neuro Neurological Institute, had shown that intense musical emotion what her subjects described as thrills and chills, ah. was associated with brain regions thought to be involved in reward, motivation, and arousal. <laughs> <laughs> and here they are. The ventral striatum, the amygdala, uh -huh. the midbrain, and regions of the frontal cortex. Okay. I, and this is Mr. Levitin speaking, I was particularly interested in the ventral striatum, a structure that includes the nucleus accumbens. Wow. Because the nucleus accumbens is the center of the brain's reward system, mm. playing an important role in pleasure and addiction. Mm. The NAC is active when gamblers win a bet, 
or drug users take their favorite drug. It's also closely involved with the transmission of opioids in the brain through its ability to release the neurotransmitter dopamine. Dopamine. So essentially, you've got this thing where music does a thing where the very wide-ranging regions of the brain are all getting, you know, hit. Yes. And they're all talking to each other, and they're all so. So you're firing in a lot of places, which is the same thing that happens with drug addicts, and and and. But I think you know, it's it. Sex does it. You know, like mm -hmm. things that make the human being go. Oh, it's so great to be human. <laughs> it's great to have this this giant bag of skin and water and bones and you know like yeah. So that that's what happens. Yeah. Now that's interesting because a a, a sub theme of the show is going to be how much human beings love music, but how much it violates our expectations. So yeah, that's, that's a very that important phrase. Like because obviously, what happens with music? is it sets up patterns and then something comes along that, ooh, so, you know, it's like you're telling a story to a little kid and it's going along, but then, oh, oh so something bad might happen. Oh no, the, the witch is gonna eat the kids, oh no. You know, so like you're, you're wanting to build up a certain kind of understanding, but then you wanna screw, screw with it. Mm -hmm. And it's the screwing with it that we like so much. We go, ooh, I, you know, and some people love to like get on a roller coaster and get the absolute crap scared out of them. Yes. You know, I'm not one of those kind of people. You know, music is fine for me. Thank you very much. I'm not a big fan either. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're not a roller coaster guy. But the, no, not at all. Yeah. I, you know what? It's funny, Rick, because I went to Canada's Wonderland and I tried. So I, you know, for most of my childhood, I'd been averse, like not interested. I don't like heights. And one day, probably about six or seven years ago, I said, you know what? I'm going to go. And I went on that Top Gun. Oh, yeah. And I was, you know, oh, it, and you can see like Major McKenzie and all the houses from the very top. Yeah. And I was just thinking like I had this moment of clarity going, holy shit. Like what? Did I do this for? Yeah. And I was terrified. And then yeah. down the... Oh, yeah. worst. See, but some people dig that, right? Like, And some people are... They want to be in a jet plane that's, you know, G-forces and all of that stuff. You know, I, I don't need that. I'm fine with sort of a little... <laughs> Just a little intellectual kind of a poke. You know? I'm reading a book. And it's like, oh, that's interesting. Oh. <laughs> was, My amygdala is aroused. Exactly. Yeah. So, but we, we are going to do a lot of violation of expectations with our, with our songs. So, yes. shall we get started? Yes. And before yeah. that, I will note that for the record, the lyrics of these songs mean little or nothing in every case to me so like for mine yeah well that's because you're a piker <laughs> <laughs> if you were a real songwriter you'd care <laughs> no right. you know what i mean i get it i mean i taught songwriting for such a long time and i know that and, and i taught it in a, in a humper college you know mm. jazz musician kind of based you know pedagogy so you know you're dealing with musicians that they also <laughs> Lyrics, they go, yeah, yeah, whatever. You know, and you go, no, 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 not whatever. Uh, your lyrics are really, really important. But I think, again, this is a brain thing. Some yes. people's brains are wired so that words and language really matter to them. And other people, they're just fine with the whole, they get the chocolate on their tongue and they go, yeah, yeah, that's great. You know, yeah. like they just want the the, the sensual vibe of, of it. and so you know i'm gonna say you are a sensualist <laughs> that's on record now yeah yeah uh i i did i do want to clarify 
you know, the, I'm talking about these particular songs. Yes, no, I'm, I get it. But, you know, th- there are lyrics that really kind of get me. Sure. If you, you know, how I, can you possibly listen to Bob Dylan? And it, it's it, it's got to be about the lyrics because, <laughs> sensually speaking, you know, this. he's not a tremendous singer. He's a stylist, <laughs> you know, and, and uh, his records are rootsy. Yeah. You know, that he 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 sort of approaches it more from that Americana, rootsy-ish kind of thing. So you're not getting a lot of production value. He he doesn't like making records. Right. Literally Dylan doesn't like it. He he wants to get it over with as as quickly as possible. Yeah. So that side of it is you know, music can do a lot of things. Um and so there's different ways to approach it. And so yeah, lyrics sometimes it's it's a it's a doorway in. Yeah. Um, uh, and sometimes it's a big part of what's going on inside that house. But mm-hmm. sometimes, eh, not so much. And I get that. Yeah. So, But you picked songs that they hit your body quicker than words do. Is that Would that be fair? Yeah. And this is almost like, like handbags. Is a, and we'll get into this in a second. But yeah. like, it's just, it's almost a mystery to me, you know. And this is this was my focus uh, in, in this particular list is that the, the, the way that the music works. Yes. So the way the changes impact, you know, my skin tingling and skin yeah. vibration, all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. So this one, you, you talk about like, you know, we, we preambled all of this. You'd sent me email and, and said, okay, these this is why I picked these tunes. Mm-hmm. So I've got those in the script. So do you tell our, our listeners now why why it was that handbags and glad rags is the thing that you dig. Yeah, Why? this this one is is and this was number one. It, this came to me right away. Okay. So it's it's all about the changes in this. The lyrics mean nothing. I think it's about some older man who's telling, you know, one of his relatives about fashion. It just it it, it means nothing. <laughs> and but, you know that's true. If, if 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 this guy had been in my class yeah. and it handed me this lyric, I would have said, "Geez, you know, uh, his name's Mike Dabo. He was the writer, Mike Dabo." Yeah. And I always said, "Mike." You know, I think you can do better. I really do. Right. Like this strikes me as you weren't really caring about listeners trying to follow a story. Yeah. But well, I'll get to that when we start talking about. It. Let's go back to. So why do you like it? So the song I've told you this before is almost like an adversary to me. It's like a like a boxer that I'm getting into the ring with when I hear those first kind of introductory notes and and like I, I know that I'm going to take an emotional beating potentially yes. <laughs> when I listen to it. The verse is kind of set me up a little bit rope a dope. You know, it kind of gets me ready, and then I think it's the E minor chord that comes in. Yeah. In, in the pre-chorus. Uh. Uh, let me just look at it. I got a chart in front of me. Yeah, you're, you're actually thinking of it in a different key, if you call that an E minor. Because that's actually an F sharp minor. Yeah. So um, that's okay. That's cool. Like, I'm just up a tone from where you're at. And okay. uh, when I was doing the research on this, Rod Stewart was the guy that originally cut it. And he's got a kind of a high voice and it's in high keys. But the stereophonics were mm-hmm. the ones that did it later, 2001. Yes. And it became even a little bit more of a hit. And they did it in even a higher key. But the thing that made the song actually sort of break out pop culture-wise was because the English version of the TV show The Office... How do I get rid of these? Rick Emmett's phone is going off. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> I gotta get rid of that stuff. I gotta turn my phone off. 
Okay, you can edit that out. <laughs> and now I know you won't. You're going to leave that I'm in. I'm going to leave it out. Son of a bitch. Okay, so um, <laughs> if I swore really, then you have to take it out. The swearing is allowed. But oh, is it okay? Absolutely. Yeah, because we're on the, uh, the worldwide interweb. <laughs> okay, so um, where were we? Oh, yeah, so Rod Stewart. So then, it, yeah, it became the soundtrack for um, The Office, Ricky Gervais' The yeah. Office. And so, boom, you know, now that song was, you know, much wider. If it had, had to do it on its own merit, it probably wouldn't have become, you know, the pop culture thing that it is now. But it, 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 it musically, it, it possesses some really cool things, and we're going to get to that. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't know about the Office affiliation at all. Yeah. I, I had heard the stereophonics version, and I, I, I think it was kind of kicking around when I was a kid, because yeah. it's an old classic, right? But Yes. It, uh, yeah, those, those chords just progress, and it just, it's like I, I made the boxing analogy, it's like it just sets me up for that chorus coming in and just knocking me right out. It yeah. literally lifts, 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 and then bang. Yeah. It's it's fantastic, and I don't understand why that is. It's well, just, it changes. Professor Emmett is going to explain that for you now, <laughs> and for all of our listeners. Okay, so uh, let's just talk about the song just so that people get background. It was written in 1967 by this guy Mike Dabo, and he was the lead singer of Manfred Mann. And right. you know there was this group of English musicians. They were it was, there was a tightness that existed, so that they would know each other. And so you know Rod's with his mods and and. You know, they're not too far away from Manfred Mann and whatever those guys are doing. And Dabble went on to write, he was a co-writer of the song Build Me Up Buttercup ah. for the Foundations in 1968. I don't know if you remember that one. Oh, Why don't you build me up yeah. buttercup, baby, okay. just uh-huh. to let me know. So now you get a sense of, oh, this guy's, a, he's a pop kind of a guy, yeah. you know, singer, sang the part of Herod in the first mounting of uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber's Jesus Christ Superstar oh, I didn't know in that. England. Yeah. So a singer, you know, essentially a singer. But he can sit down at a piano and he can he can bang out a tune. Okay, so uh, here's the progression. Let's just talk about this. I've got my guitar here. And we're going to talk a little bit about how this... So it starts with this progression that kind of goes... So that would be the intro. Okay. And the verse is like... Ever seen a blind man cross the road? Trying to reach the other side And that's going to repeat You ever seen a young girl growing old Trying to make herself a bride So you've had this like four times Same chord progression, same four chords looping, right? But now your body's going, something's got to happen now It can't possibly keep, because those chords don't suggest you know, oh, I'm just going to keep playing them forever. That right. will be too boring. Yes. Right? Okay. Then Now I'm going to go on a t- tangent just for a second. The lyrics are awful. <laughs> like, he starts <laughs> off, you've never seen a blind man cross the road trying to reach the other side. Okay, is this song going to be about a blind man? No. Is it going to be about trying to cross the road? No, no. it's not. So then the next thing was, ever seen a young girl growing old uh, trying to make herself a bride? And I go, okay. Well, I mean, it's... 2020 so that's sexist you know that's bad (laughs) like trying to make yourself a bride you know that's not going to necessarily be uh, self-realization to get married you know heavens that's terrible but he's really only written it so that it rhymes 
He's getting a, a you know a, an assonance rhyme between road and road, road and old and Sidon and, and bride is is a perfect rhyme. But he's he's mirrored the two lines. Ever seen this trying to do this? Ever seen this trying to do this? So that's not bad. That's an okay thing. And I used to tell my songwriting students, don't screw with your listener. Be fair. Yeah. You know. So if you're gonna tell a story, because well, now we're gonna get to the second chunk of the song, and. It's not going to be about any. It's not going to be about an old man. It's not going to be about crossing the road. It's not going to be about somebody trying to become a bride. Three out of four things are not are, have been like red herrings. You know, it's not fair. So anyway, so let's re re refresh everybody's ears. Those are your four chords. Now here comes this. So that's one that gets you, right? You that's, folks should see his face. He's, he's the, going, oh. That's the F minor. <laughs> yeah, that's the F sharp minor. That's the relative minor of the key. Okay. So we're in A, but this is the... So this is a pretty definitive, whoa, something heavy's about to come. So what becomes of you, my love? Set us up for When they finally stripped you of... And that's the one. He's pointing his finger at my hand. Oh. That's the one because we've come out of the key now. Yeah, you know this is a this is a chord that's like, where did that come from? Talk about violation of expectation. All of these chords, they're all the same, and even this one, that's same key, but we've clearly gone somewhere else, and now we're going somewhere else, like, wow. you know. And what do you feel is coming? I'm asking you, what do you feel is coming? The payoff, the chorus. Yes. And that's a tee up for the payoff, which is the chorus, the hook line's going to come down. Handbags and the glad rags that your poor old granddad had to sweat to buy you. And now we're back to the loop again. Right? So it's a really nice tee up of the chorus and the hook. Yeah. That's why it works so great. That... The B chord that comes before, you know, it's like a, it's a two, it could be a dominant seven even if you want, you know, which is actually in the normal key, that would be a minor chord. You, oh. you have, like if you harmonize the scale, okay. there would be a B minor, but because it's, it's going, what is that? <laughs> you know, what is it? Where are we going? You know? And this is the four chord. Handbags and the glad rags that your poor old granddad to swear to buy you. So wow. you, you, you go out of the key, you come back. And now I want to talk about, um, just real quick, oh, I'm not going to go on a tangent yet. Wait, before I do that, two things. <laughs> First of all, so Handbag starts out, it's a, it's a four chord pop song, right? Yeah. It's got those four chords, right? And it's two chords per bar. That's the other thing. There's a chord. Three, four, one, two, three, four. So you've kind of set up this rhythm. But then when the second part comes, this, that. So there's an urgency added there. Yeah, but it's actually decelerating the song. This is called, it's like literally in, in analysis, songwriting analysis. This is called harmonic deceleration. Yeah. The chords are going to slow down because they've been going, here's a chord, here's another chord, here's another chord, here's another chord. So you're set up, you're going bing, dung, ung, bung, 
Ang, but now this comes and goes one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, and here comes this chord, <laughs> and you can you know the drummer's gonna go boom, boom, ba, 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 ba. Oh, you yeah. know, like you, you just feel it coming exactly because it decelerated to make it go. What's happening? What's happening? That's yeah, it. That's where the urgency it's from comes from because it's almost cautionary. It's like look out, look out. It's very dramatic. It's coming. That's yeah. right. It's very dramatic. And you know, I would tell songwriters all the time, think about on a stage and you you do lighting. Mm. Like it's it's like lighting. You're trying to create the mood, create the focus, and then boom, the spotlight comes on, you know, yeah. the murderer with his knife, about <laughs> to stick it in the guy's back. Like whatever your payoff is going to be, you're trying to tee it up. Yes. And songs do that. And this one in particular. So now I just want to talk about uh, the the idea of using these chords. So we're in this key, and they do a thing where they put, they put the four chord over top of the five in the bass. Mm. So it's a kind of a poppy thing. Guys like David Foster love chords like this. Barry Manilow uses okay. these a lot. Like, they're very poppy. You know, if you were in a blues band, they would go, what are you doing? That's, mm. that's terrible. That's, you know, that's marshmallow. Don't do that, you know? Like, just use the real chords. But slash chords, they're going to play a big part in today's lesson. Okay. <laughs> or this week's and next week's lessons. <laughs> okay. So now let me just go to the brain guy just for a second here again, okay. to Levitin, because he's got something where he talks about that B major chord that, that when we talked about that, that sets up the payoff. Yeah. So when you're listening to music... It can cause a, a, a cascade of brain regions mm -hmm. to become activated in a particular order. First, your auditory cortex for the initial processing of the components of the sound, and then the frontal regions, so uh, previously identified as being involved in processing musical structure and expectations. So finally, there's a network of regions, the mesolimbic system, involved mm -hmm. in arousal, pleasure, transmission of opioids, production of dopamine. We talked about this, that nucleus accumbens stuff. And the cerebellum and the basal ganglia, they're active throughout, presumably supporting the processing of rhythm and meter. Now, what we're talking about is how are we setting up reward? This thing comes in through your ear, goes through all these things in your brain, and then it's going to eventually get to a place where it goes pow when you get this kind of thing. So yeah. far more than language... Music taps into primitive brain structures involved with motivation, reward, and emotion. Mm. Whether it's the first few hits of a cowbell on a honky-tonk woman, yeah. or whether it's the first few notes of Shahrazad, computational systems in the brain synchronize neural oscillators with the pulse of the music. So you're sort of sucked in by the groove, and then it unfolds. The brain constantly updates its estimates of when new beats will occur and takes satisfaction in matching a mental beat with a real in the world one. Really? Okay, so you're going, oh, I, this is what I expect, this is what I expect, and I get satisfaction from this. And then it takes delight when a skillful musician violates that expectation <laughs> in an interesting way, a sort of a musical joke that we're all in on. Mm. So, you, you know, you don't find it in, in the same way that you found you're up on the top of the uh, the roller coaster ride and you're going, oh, shit, I, this, <laughs> I should not have done this to me. There's no pleasure anymore, right? Right. You, you can go too far for this. Yes. But music is, is a thing where it very rarely does that. 
music is often, especially pop music, it's going to be one where you're going, oh, this is cool, this is cool, I'm feeling the beat, it's groovy, and then something comes along and you go, oh, I didn't expect that, but that's so good. Yeah. Oh, didn't that make me feel just a little tingly. It's like a discovery. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, but you're in on it. Yes. And this is an important thing because uh, we're going to get into this later. You're listening to the music. The musician is is, is building up trust and stuff. That's, yes. you know, you're into the song and you're, you're liking the song. You're digging the song. And then the song takes a turn that you go, oh, I did not expect that. But I, I like what she's doing. Yeah. <laughs> or he, depending. Or he. I, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm... <laughs> okay. So now I, I got to go off on a tangent here on you. Just because I got to explain certain things about all songs in general and this is i know taking up a lot of time at the beginning oh, of our show but this sets yeah this sets up you know the, the rest of the two hours of stuff we're gonna do <laughs> okay so first of all you've heard the expression three chords and the truth oh yeah yeah and i think most of your listeners probably have too and that was a guy, there was a guy named Harlan Howard, and he was a Nashville songwriter, and he kind of coined that. Mm -hmm. And there's actually even been songs written now that are called Three, Three Chords of the Truth, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but it's essentially this thing that's, it's like a cyclic trope that exists, where in culture, people will be going, oh, and music's getting too complex and it's getting too fruitcakey and you know let's get back to you know reality here let's let's get back to something that's real and true so then you know punk music comes along and you know kicks the crap out of everything else yeah or people decide no i'm getting right back to the authentic roots i want you know i'm only gonna listen to woody guthrie you know now woody guthrie he's got a thing where he like, i'm gonna read a quote of his it says anybody playing more than two chords is just showing off i love that yeah you know so <laughs> But there is that. It's like the the whole cyclic thing is like it's 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 unreal if it starts to get too fruitcakey. But then slowly, what starts to happen is no, no. It's got to have some you know intellectual, emotional kinds of challenges to it. It's got to have the the violation of the expectation has got to be there, else it's it's not good. Mm -hmm. So it, it this it, I call it a trope because it goes in a cycle. You know, it might take ten years, might take you know, 12 years, whatever. But eventually somebody comes and says, no, we got to simple it up. So that's three chords. And of course, three chords is like this kind of stuff. That's the four chord, back to the one. And you go to the five chord, four chord. So you get three chords, the one, the four, and five. And they're the foundations of almost all Western music. 12-bar blues, really? 12-bar blues, but also stuff like, you know, thus Spock Zarathustra. Zarathustra yeah. yeah, you know, like that's literally three chords. Bum, 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 dee-da. That's interesting. Bum, yeah. boom, boom, one, five, one, five, one, five, one, five, one, five. Bum, bum, bum. And then it's going to get really big and it's going to go, na na yeah. that's the four chord. <laughs> do, do, do. <laughs> five, one, bum, bum, one, bum, bum. Four, five, one. Like, it's just three chords. Why is this not on video? <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm conducting. Where's the camera? Yeah, I know. I'm conducting. Um, that, that's a fantastic consideration. Yeah. So, like, three chords creates the foundation of almost all Western music. It's just... What are you going to do to, you know, to violate expectations to go beyond them? So, but now, how, having said that, I now want to introduce you to a, you know, late 
20th century, early 21st century, another trope, the four chords of pop. Yeah. Okay? So I don't know if the, these uh, chords are going to work for all of these in the key, but it doesn't matter. So, you know, you've heard this. So those four chords, wow. you can't copyright chord progressions. And so that chord progression has become one that's it's just is used over and over. Those four chords are kind of like the, the grounding of pop music. Yeah. And they get used over and over and over and over again. There's, there's actually a really funny thing you can find online. There's these guys, they call themselves the Axis of Awesome. And ah, it's right. a trio of, of uh, Australian comedians. Mm -hmm. And they've got a little medley. Where the three of them, they they just they bang through, you know, and the audience is going crazy because, yeah, there's just so many songs. But. So in essence, what these writers are doing is they're using that four chord foundation and putting maybe a slightly different melody on top of it. Yeah, it's right? like it's it like you know it's a standard thing in in classical music theme and variations. So in this case, the theme is the is the the chord progression. Mm -hmm. So and people use that, and you can write. Anything, you know, you can write a song. Just mm. take those four chords and then come up with something that doesn't steal from blatantly from any of those other things. But again, this is the whole thing about your brain. What is it like? It likes it likes to know what's coming. It, it kind of enjoys you're you're in the middle of that progression. You can feel that four chord coming at the end. Your yes. body can feel it, your brain expects it, and so it's satisfied when it comes. But now it's a question of, yeah, but what are you going to sing on top? Is it going to be Elton John? Is it going to be, you know, Madonna. Australian guys talking about the billabong? Yeah. Which, oh, by the way, the billabong is also those same four chords. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so that's just my tangent about three chords and four chords and foundations, chord foundations. Because the thing that you talked about for handbags was, oh, you like the chord that broke the expectation yes yes and so that's kind of like the higher calling for especially for me you know i kind of like songs that they, they don't satisfy harmonic easy expectations you know i'm not really a three chord blues guy i i, I can be and i have been you know i've recorded some tunes and written some stuff that's like that but generally yeah. i like it when it's a little more sophisticated <laughs> But, you know, that, that speaks to the interest in modulation, too, sometimes, where there is uh, an unexpected modulation that comes in maybe right before the, the lead guitar break or something yeah. like that. that well, really you know, goes. this is a tangent that's not in our script, but you've made me think of this. Yeah. There there are actually, you know, there's different types of modulations, and a, cu a couple are a prepared modulation and one that's 
an unprepared modulation. Do so tell. An, yeah, an unprepared modulation is literally songs going along and all of a sudden, bang, it just goes to the new key. I love that. That's unprepared, yeah. Yeah. But sometimes you're in a, let's say you're in a, you're in a key, like we'll use the same one that I was in. And if I went, and if I went, yeah. you hear that? That chord that's in between is giving you a, just a tiny little bit of a hint, like I think we're going somewhere, mm -hmm. and then boom, the new the new key comes. So, uh, and you know what? We're gonna have a little bit of that in some of our later tunes. Okay. So, well, when modulations occur and how they get set up. Awesome. So, but shall we move along, yes. uh, Squire? So to the, we are on the, song number two. Yeah, well, why don't you tell the people what my title is for the this, this chapter? <laughs> okay, so there's a title for every one of these, which yeah. I love. So it's Surrendering to the Music, Trust, Vulnerability, and Transcendence. Yes. So this is heavy duty, is it not? <laughs> it really? Is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, again, we're going to get our brain guy to you know give me some support on all of these things. Yeah. So Surrendering to the Music, the trust that gets established, our own vulnerability, the vulnerability of the performer, that's something that we relate to, and yeah. then the transcendence. Are we all going to you know, go to God on this? <laughs> Are we all going to you know, be introduced to the universe? Yeah. So Moon's a Harsh Mistress was written by Jimmy Webb. Uh, it was uh, originally recorded in 1974. My actual favorite choice for this, the one that I would send people scurrying off to, to find on YouTube would be uh, or on Spotify, would be the version that uh, Pat Metheny and Charlie Hayden play together mm -hmm. on Beyond the Missouri Sky, which was from 1997. Now, let me just say this. Uh, you know, on my list, I would often go, I go to instrumentals because uh, I find them to be, you know, in terms of goosebump, I just find them very poetic. I don't need the lyric anymore. I, yeah. I know the song. I know what the lyric's about. And then am I hearing an instrumentalist that just takes it to a, another level? And to me, Pat Metheny is, you know, this musician that exists on the face of the earth during my lifetime that I go, wow, this guy is just so incredible. He's so great. He's just, he's everything I wish I could be, but can't, you know, like he's just so good, Yeah. you know. And part of what makes him so good is that he has this ability to, emotionally to find the heart of, of what it is that he's, what the music is doing. Mm. So Jimmy Webb's a great songwriter, right? Uh, so the music has it. The lyric helps in Jimmy's case. Not yeah. like your glad, your <laughs> glad rags handbags guy, you know. The, the lyric in this case helps. So when Jimmy first put this out, he had, it was a... Uh, oh, I should say this. The, the title, The Moon's a Harsh Mistress, there's actually a Robert Heinlein science fiction book uh -huh. or story. I think it's a book. Okay. That that has this title, okay. and but Jimmy wanted to use it as a title for a song. Mm. So Jimmy Webb, being the kind of guy that he is, he actually called up Heinlein's lawyers oh. and said, "Is it okay? Can I use it?" And they went, uh, "Yeah, sure, you sure. can use it." He did, you don't have to do that. Like <laughs> you know, you don't need the permission of of somebody. Like a, a title, a song title can be. You can write another one with the same title. You can write a book that has the same title. You can write a poem. You, you know, you're allowed. Mm. Yeah, copyright doesn't extend that far. You can't copy a character that's in a book. You right. know, you can't copy the sentences that are in a book, you know, without permission. But you can copy the title of it. So, anyways, yeah, you got a question? No, I was just going to say. <laughs> so I'm thinking about, you know, you just, you got me thinking about fair use. 
it's a very blurry parameter, I think. How much can you use? How much can you not use? So say, and in what context? Yes. Right? If I'm doing a podcast, can I use, you know, how much of a Triumph song can I use? Can I use 100% of it? Can I use 15 seconds of it? Well, first of all, because like you know, the way the law reads mm -hmm. is is your podcast educational? Ah, or is your or are you trying to make money with your podcast? Are you trying to make a bigger career for yourself? You know, is this something where there's a commercial exploitation that's going on? Right. In which case, if you're using something and it is for commercial exploitation, sorry, you got to pay. Yeah. So, an example would be you're you're uh, you're shopping at the mall. You mm -hmm. go into the shoe store and they've got music playing. And if they've got a radio station playing, that's fine because the radio station is paying for using that music. Yes. So you're allowed to play the radio. But if the guy's made his own playlist because he goes, you know what, my store, I, 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 my, my store is a little hipper and cooler. So I want to have a hipper and cooler playlist. I want my own playlist. If he does that, he's now become a broadcaster ah. and he's actually supposed to pay a license fee to be using music for his commercial exploitation. Okay. So that's kind of the way to look at fair use. I see. Now, if you're in a college and you're teaching a course, you can quote stuff, you can you can photocopy things and hand them out. You're trying to educate. Yeah. You know, it's you're not trying to exploit the music in order to make money by using the music to, you know, that there's a there's lines like yeah. you can't photocopy more than you know, a few pages kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. You can't copy a whole book and say, yeah, we've got photocopies of that book available in the bookstore. Like, that's illegal. So I would submit that my show is certainly educational when you are a guest, Rick. <laughs> well, don't you know it. <laughs> the pedantic, didactic. Here he is, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. Okay. Well, let's get back to educating people about this tune. So, uh, Harsh Mistress. It was uh, recorded by Joe Cocker, Joan Collins, Linda Ronstadt, Joan Baez, Glenn Campbell. B great version by Glenn Campbell, by the way, online. If you can find the one where he plays with the orchestra. Did and, you know yeah. that he could play lead guitar like he can? Oh, yeah. I oh. didn't know that. Glenn Campbell played on Gosh, Beach Boys rats. records, and Glenn Campbell was one of the Wrecking Crew guys. Oh, I didn't know that. He was one of the guitar players. Yeah, there was about four or five of them. Yeah. Education. Yeah, Glenn Campbell. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yes. Yeah, no, Glenn Campbell had been around. In fact, Glenn Campbell had been this guy, and uh, they tried three or four times to sort of turn him into a recording artist, and it was Capitol Records that said, what if we sort of try and go country? Yeah. We'll find pop songwriters that have great pop songs, but we'll sort of try and tee him up like a country guy and make him seem country. But, and, but Glenn Campbell had toured wearing the striped shirt and the Beach Boys, playing no guitar way. and bass. Like, he'd been a beach boy. Yeah. See, all I got when I was a kid was Rhinestone Cowboy. I didn't know that he could play the way oh, that he geez, could. Oh, jeez, no. And, and, of course, this uh, communication, uh, this uh, connection we're making here, Jimmy Webb, that was a big thing for Glenn Campbell. Him and Jimmy Webb, Wichita Lineman, by the time I get to Phoenix, right. uh, Galveston, the, uh, uh, you know, all of those songs, Rhinestone Cowboy, yes. that's all Jimmy Webb, all of it. Ah. Yeah, so Harsh Mistress, Jimmy Webb. Wow. So Glenn Campbell has a kind of a connection with uh, Josh Groban has done a more recent version of, of this tune. So you need a great singer to be able to do this because the song has a uh, has a minor third modulation in it. Okay. And we'll get, you know, we'll talk about prepared modulations. There's a little thing that happens in the tune. So anyhow, um, let me just walk you through how this one sounds so that you can get a sense of um, what Jimmy's doing with the chords. And this is Jimmy. He's trying to be a three-chord guy, but he's Jimmy Webb. So he, and he's a, he's a piano player. Piano players tend to, They'll often do things with their 
chords with their right hand and their left hand moves to different bass. So you get these things, they're called slash chords. Ah. You know, where where you've got one chord on the top. So just see her how she flies. So he, that moving the third in the bass. Okay. Flies, golden sails across the sky. Now there's the four chord over the five. That's another slash chord, but it, that was in glad bags and, and hand rags or is that right? Handbags and glad yeah, rags. Handbags. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. So that's C over D. So that's the end of the second phrase. She's close enough to touch four chord. But careful, there's one over its third. Careful if you try four chord, and it's going to walk down to the two chord. Though she looks as warm as gold. That's a nice So Jimmy set that up. This is called an unbalanced structure. Okay. So because it went, see her how she flies, golden sails across the sky. She's close enough to touch, but careful if you try. So you're feeling something coming. Though she looks as warm as gold. So we've only had five phrases. Mm. So it's actually it's an unbalanced structure. It's tipping towards something. Gold is this chord that you said. That's the same relative minor that you liked yes. in handbags. Yeah. It, it It's the relative minor. It sets up something. So, but this one is particularly beautiful. The sixth in this chord. Oh, that's so sad to me. Yeah. The moon's a harsh mistress. There's the hook. So this was setting you up for the hook. The moon's a harsh mistress. The moon can be so cold. So it's a pretty straightforward Appalachian folk song kind of construction that it starts on a tonic, it ends on a tonic, but it's it's a there's a nice little story that gets told by the chords there with a payoff chord, not quite as out of key as your two dominant seven that happened in the and glad and uh, I keep on saying glad brags, handbags. I can't get it right. Anyhow, so here's one thing that I wanted to make sure that I was making clear about talking about this tune. When I when I choose Matheny as the artist to present it, yeah, it's because I have this deep trust of him. Okay. Very lyrical player, so I don't miss the words of the song because he's there's a lyricism in the way that he plays. I I feel that right just in the way that he plays. So um, here, let's go to the the brain guy again okay. just to find out about this kind of a stuff of, of um, trusting and 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 how that sets up because and here's the brain guy. Safety plays a role for a lot of us in choosing music. To a certain extent, we surrender to music when we listen to it. Mm. We allow ourselves to trust the composers and the musicians with a part of our hearts and our spirits. We let the music take us somewhere outside of ourselves. Many of us feel that great music connects us to something larger than our own existence, to other people or to God. Even when music doesn't transport us to an emotional place that is transcendent, music can still change our mood. We might be understandably reluctant then to let down our guard to drop our emotional defenses for just anyone, we'll do so if the musician and the composer make us feel safe. We want to know that our vulnerability is not going to be exploited. 
Interesting. Yeah. So this is part of your goosebump thing. Your, your, you know, does it make your skin vibrate? You've established a sense of trust mm-hmm. with the musician, the, the 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 performer, with the piece of music you're hearing, and you're going, no, no, I, I'll go. T- go ahead, take me. I, I'll 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 follow. I'm, yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. You know? yeah. I'm on the road right beside you. Let's go. Yeah. And so emotionally, you're making this commitment. You're making yourself vulnerable, right. but you're doing it willingly. So that's the, a really cool thing. And it's your brain that does that. Your brain goes, oh, let's trust them. Ah, come on, let's trust them. And you go, okay, well, I'll trust them. I'll let my whole body go so yeah. that I'll allow it to get tingles and vibrations. Isn't that amazing? It really is, right? Yeah. We allow musicians, this is from the book again, we allow musicians to control our emotions, even our politics, to lift us up, to bring us down, to comfort us, to inspire us. We let them into our living rooms and bedrooms when no one else is around. So that that's the whole thing of my, my title, you know, trust, vulnerability, transcendence. All of this enters into this, you know, you, you've never really sort of analyzed it, but that's what's happening. And of course, your friends up in uh, Bob Cajun that have music therapy as their mm-hmm. thing. That's what makes it therapeutic. That's it. It can get there. It can get inside as long as you'll allow it. Yes. Pretty wow. cool, right? Very, very, very cool. Yeah. So anyways, uh, I want to get back to Harsh Mistress here just because uh, we're giving the lyrics short shrift. And after beating the last guy up, <laughs> I want to say how good these are. And I just want to... The third verse of this particularly nails my heart. So this, the first verse was, see her how she flies, golden sails across the sky. She's talking about the moon. Mm-hmm. See her how she flies, golden sails across the sky, close enough to touch, but careful if you try. Though she looks as warm as gold, the moon's a harsh mistress. The moon can be so cold. So that's his first verse. He's established the thing. There's your central metaphor of the moon. Second verse goes, once the sun did shine, Lord, it felt so fine. The moon, a phantom rose, through the mountains and the pines. And then the darkness fell. Mm. So in his second verse, the unbalanced line of lyric is, then the darkness fell. So the story has reached this, whoa, and it's right where the unbalanced tipping point of the construction is. Interesting. So his five-phrase structure delivers the line in the second verse, and then the darkness fell. The opposition. Oh, man. Wow. And the moon's a harsh mistress. It's hard to love her well. So let me just show you quickly. Uh, there's a there's an intro. I don't know if I'm going to be able to play this. He has a... Uh, that's the little melodic intro that's in this tune. Okay. There's a B flat chord that's in that little run. That is a B flat, okay. right? And when the song is going along, it's the first verses in this. See her how she flies. It's in that key, right? Blah blah blah. blah. The moon's a harsh mistress. No 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 no. Then it goes B da da da. The, this da 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 da. Boom da da da. Boom da da do. Fell out of her eyes, and now the last verse isn't. So you get a tiny little bit. You've had a preparation because he's inserted that little B flat chord, 
Thank you, you know, buddy. in his intro, in his re-intro, but now you get a little hint of it so that it sets up this fell out of her eyes for the last verse, which yeah. is up the th a minor third, which that's like, whoa, a minor third modulation to me. It's always like, whoa, I always really feel them. The fact that this is the verse where he's like, I fell out of her eyes, I fell out of her heart, I fell down on my face, I tripped, I missed my star, I fell, I fell all alone. Like, it's just so sad, yeah. but it's gone up this third so that the singer can just really emote. And I, I don't need the singer. I can, Athenia can do it for me, you know. Yeah. And in a way, I think, I mean, I, you know, I get emotionally kind of verklempt. And it, the lyrics do it to me. So maybe it's like I'm, it's like you're riding your roller coaster. You go, you know, I'm sorry, I'm not doing I'll go on the teacups with my kids. <laughs> I'll do that. But I'm not going on the roller coaster. So, you know, maybe when I choose instrumentalists, it's because I'm going, I'm, I'll go on the teacups. No, you, <laughs> you know right, what I mean? I, I, I'm the same way. There are songs that lyrically, there's a song by a woman named Kate Fenner, if you remember Bourbon Tabernacle. Yeah, Park. yeah. She went off on her own and, and wrote a song called The Yield. And this is a recent song. This is probably about three, four years ago. And uh, the lyrics crush me. Like, it's full of tears. And I, can't, I, I cannot listen to that song with anybody else around. Like, it's got to be a kind of a private thing. Like, I can't... Yeah. You know. See, you know, and you come to my house and you make me do these lists and I pick these songs. <laughs> and I know because they make my skin vibrate, but they also make my tear ducts run. <laughs> because they really do get to me. Like, I, I'm remembering there, there's a, a song that uh, Amy Grant wrote. Yeah. A t uh, Breath of Heaven for Christmas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I cannot listen to that song and not get choked up. I can't do it. That was on one of your playlists. Right? I know. Yeah. You make me do this. <laughs> yeah. There is an honest beauty in that, and that is at the very core of music. Yeah. And then your listeners will go, you got to stop having that sap on Emmett at Christmas. He's, he's, he's such a baby. No, man. This is the real stuff. Okay. All right. So uh, let's move on to one of yours. Come on. All right. So... <laughs> The Yield, Kate Fenner. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm amazed. Yeah. Paul, Paul McCartney. And this one uh, was entitled Vulnerability Part 2. Yes. Now, uh, that's a good yeah, That's because of your comments, which go ahead, fill so, us all in. We talked about the live version of this being quite different because there is a degree of, of vulnerability there. You can hear McCartney's raspy, raw vocal delivery it sounds like he's been on the road for five years there's a romanticism in there that just you pick up on he's just giving you everything it's just so much more accessible to me but the big thing rick is that descending vocal melody line that just turns me inside out right. every time you know the one I'm not i do we'll get, get to it, it for sure yeah, yeah. he's just a, a special artist for me that this this performance for me crystallizes everything that he brings to the table as an artist. The, the grit, the integrity, the beauty, the musical purity. And it's all delivered from way, way up here at a masterclass level. And there's absolutely nothing missing. That's it. This. That's it. And you know, McCartney is one of my favorite musicians on the planet Earth and has been ever since I was, you know, eight years old. Yeah. Yeah, and this particular song, written in 1969, uh, about Linda, you know, and about, I, I, I can't believe 
what's happening because the Beatles are breaking up. Mm-hmm. So he's writing this song, but at least he's he's got Linda. In the same way that John had Yoko, he had Linda. The the construction of this song is a, a masterclass. It's it's unbelievably great. And I'm just going to play you the, the, the chord progression just so that you can, so everybody can sort of hear this. Yeah. This was recorded, by the way, in, in one day. This is, fuck, you know. The original recording was in EMI's number number two studio in Abbey Road, and he did it the same day he did the song every night. So he did he did two songs in one day, and he plays everything. He plays guitar, bass, piano, organ, drums, played it all. So screw him, eh? <laughs> like, it's not fair. He's just so good. He's just so talented, you know. So the chord progression goes like. Um, There's a. Well, it's it's the five chord over the one in the bass. It's a slash chord. There's a slash chord. This is full of slash chords. Okay. Maybe I'm a mean the way I love you. Gaga 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 gaga. Maybe I'm a mean in the way you love me tonight. Oh, different than the time before. No, yeah. It's not this chord. It's this one. So the bass is down one. He's a bass player, right? So he, he understands things from the bottom up, right? Uh, where's that G or B? Yeah, so now. Maybe I'm a Maybe I'm a mean. No, sorry. Oh. Maybe I'm amazed at the way I love you. Right? So great, like, progression. So I'll just play the progression he goes. It's because of his left hand in the piano making those little tiny adjustments to what's happening at the bottom. Now you get your unprepared modulation. Sing it, I wish I could. <laughs> you just did. Well, badly, horribly badly, but I mean, imagine that. Uh, he's way up, he's. Uh, that's what he's, that's those are, those are the notes. So uh, it's over um, this, like a, like a D minor. Yeah. Like, all the way down the blues scale with these crazy chords. And this is a 2-5, which is leading you back. You'd think the next chord is going to be a D. Okay. Right? You hear this? Yeah. And this. And you think this. But that's not. He goes this, then this, then he goes. <laughs> Another unprepared modulation to yes. take you back. So... It's just genius that he and they're all like kind of just triads over bases in the in his left hand that it, the construction. But man, it's just uh, that cascading falsetto thing. It's uh, like who else on the planet Earth can actually sing that after they've been ripping? 
Yeah. You know, all the rest of that. Baby, I'm amazed. Yeah. Baby, I'm a lonely man who's in the middle of And he's tearing his throat up. Absolutely. Out. And then he gets in the end. He goes, woo! Like soft and floating like a leaf coming oh, down off a tree. You know, like just unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, he's just so great. Uh, okay, let's see what the brain guy has to say about vulnerability. <laughs> all right. All right. I got to find the page. Phil, while I'm trying to find the page. All right. Do you want me to sing that? Yeah, sing that line. Part? Sing that lick. Can you sing that lick? <laughs> <laughs> no? Okay. Yeah, that's because no one else on the planet Earth can. <laughs> Only McCartney can. <laughs> All right. So here's what the here's what uh, Daniel J. Levinson has to say about this. Our music listening creates schemas, or schemas, I think schemas. S-C-H-E-M-A-S, schemas. For musical genres and forms, even when we're only listening passively and not attempting to analyze the music, by an early age, we know what the legal moves are mm. in the music of our culture. For many, our future likes and dislikes will be a consequence of the types of cognitive schemas we formed for music through our childhood listening. Ah. Okay? So, McCartney, he's been with us for a long time. This isn't meant to imply that the music we listen to as children will necessarily determine our musical tastes for the rest of our lives. Many people are exposed to or study music of different cultures and styles and become accultured, acculturated, sorry, acculturated to them, learning their schemas as well. The point is that our early exposure is often our most profound and becomes the foundation for further musical understanding. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a thing about McCartney where this stuff about trust and vulnerability Here's McCartney, who's been uh, like a uh, an icon, you know, the, the 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 biggest pop star ever in the history of. He's singing in a way that he's ripping his throat out for us, for you and me, and then he's singing these licks that are just so untranscendent. But we're all, our hearts are already open. We're vulnerable to him because he's McCartney. He's exactly he's the guy. Yeah. So if a McCartney does it, we go oh. It's 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 even easier, yeah, for it for it to because we trust him. Yeah, so. I saw him live in I think it was two thousand five. The ACC. What he did was he would play, but he would introduce the songs beforehand, and he would give. It was almost like a little storyteller's thing, right? And he did that with Blackbird. So he came out and he said, "I'm going to play Blackbird now," and you know everybody hoots and hollers. And then he said, "So that how the song came about." He's telling the story about he and John Lennon, you know, sitting in the parlor of his mom's house and them fooling around with the chords and that sort of thing. And that's, so he gives a little backstory, but I just thought, I feel like I'm in his home right now and he's talking to me. Yeah. And to your point, he already had me way before yes. any of that stuff. And now there's this on top of that. And it's just, it's so just gets you yes. emotionally, yeah. you know, like yeah. I, I welled up. It's, it's incredible. Incredible is exactly it, it, that, you know, that we do. Music is this thing that allows this to happen. You know, he's a stranger. I don't know the guy. He's not my, but he's, no, no, he's one of my best friends because I've been listening to his music for so long, you know, yeah. so. Okay, so let's move along, okay? Because right. we got we to draw this uh, episode to a close. We do, here. we do, we do. Yeah, it's been uh, a long episode. <laughs> God knows. <laughs> God only knows. God only knows. It's been so long. Okay, so, so that's where we're at. Song God number four. Knows. The yeah. title is yeah. "Violating Expectation," Part Two. Yeah, and if any song ever did, this one does. Mm. But this is the kind of tune where, if you ask, if you ask McCartney, "Hey, Paul, what's your favorite song?" 
he's picking this song. Incredible. This is his favorite song. Yeah. This brings him to tears. Yeah. Really? Yep. And uh, Jimmy Webb. Ask Jimmy Webb, what's one of the, you name the top five songs that have ever been written, Jimmy. Jimmy's going to pick God Only Knows by Brian Wilson. He's wow. Gonna, yeah. And it, <clears throat> the lyrics were uh, a guy named Tony Asher. He gets short shrift. Okay. Uh, but uh, they're equally as good here, and it's uh, equally as interesting, mm -hmm. adding to the value of this tune. This was uh, completed over a few days, but it, they, uh, uh, it got finished in April of 1966. And you'll notice how many of these songs are like 1966, 1960. We, yeah. Our list is, yeah. But what does that say? Well, that, but the brain guy would say, well, you know, we were, your foundations, mm -hmm. you know, those are the things that when you, when it really mattered, your brain was forming and making these kinds of connections. They're called cascades too. Like you, something goes in your ear and then it goes through different regions of your brain. It, it, it creates a brain cascade. Really? And the cascade is the thing that it, it evolves into the, the goosebumps and the, the vibrations and the tingles. Mm. So let's just think about this tune for a second, okay? Okay. 23 musicians on the session. Wow. Yeah. They did 20 takes. <laughs> like, and here's the background of what had, what had occurred. Brian Wilson had heard the Beatles' Rubber Soul album. Yes. And he went, Oh, this is genius songwriting. This is just like so good. I have to write songs that can beat this. And part of it was they were both on Capitol Records. They both shared the same publicist. Okay. So they could get acetates of ah. the other guy's stuff before it had reached the public. Oh, I and know that. McCartney and Wilson had this kind of thing like, no, no, what, what are the Beach Boys doing? I want to know. And, yeah. and Brian Wilson's going, well, what's McCartney up to? I, I want to know. Really? What are the Beatles doing? Yeah, Wilson hears Rubber Soul and he wants Pet Sounds, the album they're working on. It's gotta, it's gotta better it. It's gotta be better. And then McCartney goes back to the Beatles after hearing Pet Sounds and he goes, "Okay, but Sergeant Pepper, we gotta, we gotta up the eighty. Wow. Like there was this friendly competition going on between these two guys, right? Part of the reason I picked this song is because I knew it was McCartney's favorite, and and it's so good to come after a McCartney. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> the song was very controversial because it had God in the title. That had never been done for, except for God Bless America with, you know, Kate Smith or whoever. Yeah. You know, so yeah. God had never been in the title, which was like, are we going to do this? And the Beach Club boys go, yeah, we can do this. We're, we're big enough that we'll take on the industry. We're going to try and do this. Now, Brian Wilson has said he was reaching for something eternal. Like, it's a love song, so he's going to reach for something eternal. And it, in fact, the, the song itself ends with a, something that's called a perpetual round so you know, like Frere Jacques, Frere Jacques, dormez-vous, dormez-vous. Like a, like it's a round. Okay. So you, you can start, you can delay someone and start the thing, and it can loop over itself. Oh, I see. So it's a perpetual round that he put. He knew he wanted to have that at the end, and when we get to that at the end, Brian Wilson is singing both the low part and the high part, and he probably doubled them. Yeah. But there's a guy singing in the middle, a guy named Bruce Johnson, and he sings the line that's like the dagger. That gets me. Ah. Yeah, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll illustrate that for you. Okay. So the, the round part of it goes like, God only knows what I'd be without you. God only knows what I'd be. And then there's somebody that goes, God only knows. Right. And it's just that he hits this note, which is the major third of the chord that's turning. Yeah. So it's just like, God only knows what I'd be without you. God only knows what I'd be. God only knows. 
God only knows what I mean. And it's just this velvety, oh, it's like butter on hot toast. It just, it's this melting, lovely piece of glue that's in there. Yeah. So, and, and of course, if you think of it in terms of being a perpetual round, like, oh, no, I'm, I'm reaching for something eternal here. You go, oh, are you kidding me? So I sang this at one of my daughter's That's weddings. Right. Yeah. And how's, how's this? That for you? How's this for a very first line of lyric in a love song? <laughs> I may not always love you. <laughs> and I go, are you sure this is the song you want? But the the lyricist Asher, he has said, I would have fought to the death for that. I did not want to change that line. Really? You know, because I wanted this song to have that kind of a thing. Let me just uh, uh, walk you through this here so that you can hear how the, this chord progression goes. Um, past, maybe I'm amazed, and here we go. God only knows. I may not always love you. A B minor six. Not, an, not a very usual chord. But as long as there are stars above you. Is that a jazz chord, the B minor six? It's, uh, the, well, it is, yes, kind of. Yeah. yeah. It's like an E9 over a B. See. So it's like, da 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 da. He's using a two, uh, a, a kind of a two dominant seven chord, yeah. but he's putting it over it, its own fifth in the bass. So by doing that, it makes it, you're not sure what this is. Where are we? I'm not sure what this is coming from this to this. Where is it going? And it goes here. So that makes you think, oh, we're in the key of A here. Mm. But we didn't start there. We started in the key of D. Da da da, D da da da. Now we're in a different key. Da 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 da, D da da da. Now we've got a B7 over A. Where is this going? And it goes to here. Da. We're up a tone from the first line. So yeah. the first line was here. Da 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 da. Now we're in the second one. I'll make you. You never need to doubt it. A, d a diminished seven chord, which is very classical, extremely classical. And, you know, let's hear what happened in the bass. It went from here yep. to here. Whoa. And McCarty's going, I never wrote a chord progression like that. <laughs> McCarty's going, this guy's a genius. This is crazy genius. I'll make you so sure about it. Oh man, is that ever good. So the bass line went boom, boom, boom. Uh, that's what the bass line did. Like if I play that for you, you'd say, that's not from that song. No, it's not. And you'd yeah. yes it is. Wow. And that takes us to this. God only knows what I'd be. So listen to that verse. It's just crazy. I may not always love you, but as long as there are stars above you, you never need to doubt it. What a luxurious melody. I'll make you so sure about it. It goes to this beautiful high arcing melody, you know. God only knows what I'd be without you. Now we got to get, oh, we had to have a little thing. This is the preparation for the new key. Because wow. we got to get back to this for the next verse. Yeah, isn't that unreal? That's just, what a progression, what a melody, and what a great lyric that it goes like, oh, 
I may not always love you, but as long as there are stars above you, <laughs> I, I, you know, you never need to doubt it. I, I'll make you so sure about it. So extremely clever, creative, but also emotionally just so together that the melody does these things right that you get to, the, I'll make you so sure about it. Like, oh, so. So that's why McCartney goes, oh, my God. I've never written anything that good. Oh, I don't even know what to say after, you know, you think about these things and you try to hear them, but for me to watch you play those things just adds this whole new layer of almost understanding but confusion at the same time for me. Yeah, well, you know, this goes back to the brain guy talking about violating schematic expression, like violating your, your expectation. All of these schemas that we have, like this is what we understand to, to be pop music. This is what we know it will be. He's saying, yeah, that's that's not what Brian Wilson's doing here. He's going to violate and he's going to violate again. And then he's going to violate again. And he's going to keep doing it and yeah. upping the ante and upping the ante. But he's going to do it in such a way that you're being seduced by it. You're that's actually, right. it, it's it's pulling you along. That's why McCartney digs it so much. It's not weird. It is, I mean, it is crazy weird but it's not doing it in a way that you're going no no that doesn't work right it all works it all works so great so here's what the brain guy says okay. we've heard thousands of songs thousands of times and even without being able to explicitly describe it we've incorporated this phrase tendency as a rule about music as we know it when yesterday plays with its seven measure phrase that's a surprise. Even though you've heard yesterday a thousand or even 10,000 times, it still interests us because it violates schematic expectations that are even more firmly entrenched than our memory mm. for that particular song. So McCartney, you know, who knows music better than McCartney? No very, one. very few people on the planet Earth. But when he hears a song like this, he goes, oh, that violates my schematic expectations. Yeah. So good. It's so delicious. It feels so great to me because it's like, you know, he's getting a, a taste of an ice cream that he's never had before kind of thing, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, when you hear these songs, oftentimes in the radio, you'd be listening, you know what the next chord's going to be. You know it's going to a D. You know it's going to, you know, an A, whatever it is. But I think that the true genius in that song and a lot of stuff that Wilson had done is just the pure unpredictability but even on top of that, how he arrives at these things, like that one of those changes you did, I didn't even, I just see, I know the song and still I, I thought like, how did he come up with that? Yes. It's not even in the realm of predictability. You know, I'm, I can only guess, right? I like, and I think when it comes to Brian Wilson, even trained psychotherapists go, yeah, I'm sorry, <laughs> oh. I can only guess. Yeah. I, I do believe that his genius was, that he could see the finished thing, mm. but knew all of the detail, all of the tiny little things that would have to make it be that finished thing. Now, he still might have to experiment to find it, but he had a real unerring sense of mm -hmm. where he was headed. Yes. That, that he could, he had a sense of this is what I want. And I've often described this to songwriters. You're like a sculptor. You're standing in front of a giant block of stone and it's in there. It's just a question of what do you what do you take away in order uh, to define it? Uh, and so some people are not sure. The process of the taking away, they're going to have to walk around it a lot. They're going to have to take their time. But I think Brian Wilson was the kind of guy that was like, yeah, give me the chisel. 
I'm ready. Bam, 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 bam. He could just, because he really knew what he wanted that was in there. Right. Other people might be going, he's, he's nuts. What's he doing? But, you know, and of course he, he did go off on tangents. I mean, Brian Wilson did stuff like he would go into a studio and walk around and feel the walls. Oh, yeah, really? And then say to everybody, sorry, karma's not good. We can't do the session today. Oh, wow. Yeah. So drugs had kind of... Oh, what a shame. They, yeah. I always think about that instance where he laid in bed for days listening to Be My Baby. Yeah. And said, I can't better this, so I'm just going to give up. Mm-hmm. What did he hear in there? You know, I often think about that. We're going to get to this in the next episode. (laughs) Cliffhanger. You've done this before. We're going to get to this because there there is more than just like when you and I sit here and we talk and I'm sort of becoming very nuts and bolts about stuff. I'm going this chord, this melody, you know, blah, 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 this bass line. And that's all well and good. But there's other things that play into whether or not your brain digs it. Mm. It's not just a question of the nuts and bolts. There's there's other stuff. And so, wow. stay tuned. Stay tuned. <laughs> well done. Okay, that concludes episode one of our uh, Christmas episode here at Rick Emmett's house. So, we're going to take a little break, and uh, next week... There's a sandwich with your name on it up in the, up in the fridge. Ah, brilliant. Yeah. I love that. So. Thank you. It's break time. Uh, All right, break time. So, Brent Jensen, Rick Emmett, No Sleep Till Sudbury. See you next time, folks. Take good care. Brent Jensen is the best-selling author of No Sleep Till Sudbury, Leftover People, and All My Favorite People Are Broken. All titles available in stores and on Amazon Worldwide.